Sound is defined as vibrations that travel through the air or another medium and can be heard when they reach a person's or animal's ear. Ears, like the rest of our bodies, are made of numerous parts that all have specific functions. There are two different systems at work, the peripheral hearing system and the central hearing system. The peripheral system can be broken up into three parts, the outer ear, the middle ear, and the inner ear. The outer ear portion begins with the auricle. The auricle is the visible part that sticks out of both sides of your head. Some are bigger than others, like my grandpa. But the auricle's job is to collect the sound waves and steer them towards the ear canal. The ear canal is also known as the external auditory metis, which isn't important, I just wanted to say metis. The last component of the outer ear is the eardrum. The middle ear is the smallest section and mostly air-filled. Residing in the middle ear are three small bones collectively called the ossicles. It's in there that you'll find the smallest bone in your body, the stapes. The stapes connects to the inner ear. The inner ear portion contains both hearing and balance organs. The hearing part of the inner ear is called the cochlea. The cochlea is filled with special fluids and is connected to the central hearing system by the auditory nerve. Which brings us to the second system. The central hearing system consists of the auditory nerve and a complex maze that heads towards the brainstem and eventually the auditory cortex of your brain. So what happens when something goes wrong? As you get older, the nerve cells in the cochlea begin to break down. This is why your grandchildren yell when you're around. Constant exposure to loud noises can cause wear and tear as well. When I worked in radio, I wore headphones for five hours a day and attended dozens of concerts. I began noticing hearing loss before I hit 40. In those cases, it can be tougher to hear high-pitched tones. It can also make hearing next to impossible in situations where there may be an abundance of background noise. There's also earwax buildup to contend with, ear infections, ruptured eardrums, quick changes in pressure, tinnitus, a foreign object poking a hole in your eardrum. Any of those things can cause sound to be muffled, like this. This is an example of a muffled sound. Or perhaps make you hear things like this. This is an example of high-pitched sounds. Or maybe make you lose hearing completely. These days I protect my ears when I can because hearing is quite possibly my favorite of the senses. Whether it's sound effects used in movies, specific instruments in a favorite song, or just listening to Morgan Freeman speak. Good audio makes me happy. It might be why I'm also so sensitive to things I would consider bad audio, like chewing and swallowing, crying, noisy middle school students, or moist mouth sounds when someone is speaking. Those are times when I might wish for a clog in my external auditory metis. I've mentioned before that while I love a good movie or book, Listening to either of those without visual accompaniment is even more pleasurable. Theater of the mind, sitting in a dark space, letting my mind make up the images, hearing voices and noises coming from all around me, like this. So here I am, outside, walking through the woods. I'm going to pick up this rock, and then I'm going to throw it into that stream that's way over there. That is a grizzly bear. I'm leaving now.
So this episode is all about sounds, but not just any sounds. Curious, bizarre, and sometimes unexplained sounds. Episode 29, Stranger Sounds. In 27 BC, a good-sized earthquake hit Egypt near what is now known as the city of Luxor. In that area, west of the Nile River, sits two giant stone statues known as the Colossi of Memnon. The statues were built in honor of the pharaoh Amenhotep III, who ruled Egypt during the 18th dynasty. The earthquake reportedly shattered the northern colossus, collapsing it from the waist up and cracking the lower half. Following the quake, what remained of the lower half was rumored to sing on occasion, typically around dawn and most often in February and March. The first recorded mention of the sounds came from a Greek historian named Strabo. Apparently, he had heard the sounds himself in 20 BC. Strabo said that what he heard sounded like a blowing, Another prominent historian compared it to a string breaking on a musical instrument. Others heard the striking of brass or whistling. Legend speaks of the good fortune bestowed upon anyone lucky enough to hear the singing. Within a few years of the earthquake, a steady stream of visitors, including several Roman emperors, were visiting the Colossi of Memnon in hopes of hearing the sounds themselves. In the year 199, Roman Emperor Septimius Severus came to the statues but heard nothing. It's said that in an attempt to please Amenhotep, he repaired the broken statue. In the last 1800 years, thanks to him potentially corking the source of the sound, there haven't been many reports of noises emanating from the statue base. No one has ever been able to fully explain what caused the sounds. If they came from nature, some believe that it was probably caused by rising temperatures and the evaporation of dew inside the porous rock. Now, unfortunately, I don't have any recordings of the singing statue. People in the year 200 weren't great at uploading audio. That's okay, though. I do have some more recent and, in some cases, equally strange sounds for you to listen to. Let's start with a collection of sounds that comes to us from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, or NOAA. More specifically, these sounds were acquired with the help of the folks at the Pacific Marine Environmental Laboratory. The mission of PMEL, as we'll refer to it from now on, is to develop unique acoustics tools and technologies to support the mission of NOAA, as well as other federal agencies, academic institutions, and international partners. In layman's terms, they make really great microphones that can get wet. A hydrophone is one of the key tools that scientists use to collect underwater sounds. Hydrophones react to pressure change and are omnidirectional microphones. When more than one is used in an array, these people can practically hear an entire ocean. Hydrophones can be mounted on the seafloor or even towed behind boats. Over the last 30 years, the NOAA has amassed a huge collection of sounds that come from wildlife, man, and nature. Here are a few that left them scratching their heads a bit. I should mention that most of these sounds have been sped up 16 to 20 times. Upsweep is the name given to a still unidentified sound detected in August of 1991. The name came from the noise that's heard repeatedly.
the source level is high enough to be recorded throughout the Pacific Ocean. It's especially noticeable in spring and fall, and so far, the best they can figure is that it's noise coming from an underwater volcano. According to the NOAA, the sound has been decreasing since it was first noticed, but can still be heard today. The other still unidentified sound is known as the whistle. The whistle was recorded in 1997, and while they know that it's coming from the Pacific Ocean, scientists have never been able to pinpoint exactly where it's coming from. The NOAA cannot give a definitive answer, but they're leaning towards volcanogenic sounds as the source. These next few samples from the NOAA have all been identified at some point. Knowing what they are doesn't necessarily negate the creepiness that underwater sounds seem to provide. Bloop is the adorable name given to one of the lowest and most powerful sounds detected. First heard in 1997, the sound is consistent with either an ice quake that takes place inside of an iceberg, or that of an iceberg scraping along the ocean floor. They were able to triangulate the sound's source to somewhere near the southern tip of South America, and might have even figured out the exact iceberg it came from. The full, real-time sample lasted over a minute and was loud enough to be heard from over 3,000 miles away. While some believe that it could have been a living creature, the sound was much greater than the loudest ever animal recording, which came from a blue whale. On March 1st of 1999, the NOAA, using a hydrophone array, recorded a sound that they named Julia. Did you hear it? There's a quick sound, and then it sounds as if the ocean is saying, Julia. The NOAA believes the sound came from a large iceberg that had run aground off Antarctica. Julia was loud enough to be heard throughout the Pacific and lasted around 2 minutes and 43 seconds. Slow down is a sound recorded in 1997, also in the Pacific Ocean. Once again, scientists attribute this sound to grounded icebergs. As you'll hear, the sound was named slowdown because you can hear the decreasing frequency. The NOAA has picked up the sound several times a year, every year since 1997. The original, unaltered recording lasts nearly seven minutes. Our final sound from the NOAA and PML is one that's known as train. It's easy to hear why they named it that. As was the case with the last few samples, train was first heard in the late 90s in the Pacific Ocean and is believed to be noise from a slow-moving iceberg. Let's move now, away from underwater sounds, to creepy radio signals. The buzzer, or UVB-76 as it's better known, is a shortwave radio station owned by the Russian military. Every minute, 24 hours a day, a short, monotonous buzz tone repeats roughly 25 times. On occasion, the signal is interrupted by someone speaking Russian. It's believed that the signal began airing in 1982, 
and still goes on today. As one would assume when dealing with Russia, they don't have much to share when asked about the purpose of the AM broadcast. It's assumed to be used for military communications or possibly a sort of alert system for military stations. On occasion, conversations and other background noises have been heard behind the buzzer, which would make one believe that there's an open microphone on at all times. In 2001, someone recorded a man speaking in Russian. I am 143, not receiving the generator. Oscillator. That stuff comes from hardware room. In 2010, several shortwave radio users listened as portions of Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake replaced the buzzer, along with what sounded like a woman screaming. That same year, another conversation was picked up. Officer of the duty station debut, Ensign Uspinskaya, received a test call from Nadezda. Understood? This all sounds like an episode of Lost. Stoti zadumal, comrades. Or, in English, what are you up to, friends? UVB-76 could also be classified under what is known as a number station. Number stations broadcast via shortwave radio and are believed to be used by intelligence officers in foreign countries. Most stations have set time schedules or schedule patterns. However, other stations appear to have no discernible pattern and broadcast at random times. Number stations date back to World War I, when numbers were transmitted via Morse code. These broadcasts grew in popularity during the Cold War and some are still in use today. The Czech Ministry of the Interior and the Swedish Security Service have both acknowledged the use of number stations for espionage. Perhaps the best-known number station was run by the British Secret Intelligence Service, E-03, also known as the Lincolnshire Poacher, first broadcast in the mid-1970s. The station stopped broadcasting in 2008. Here's a sample from the Lincolnshire Poacher. heard the bloop and the buzzer, and now we arrive at the ping and the moodest noises. Sadly, like the singing statue in Egypt, there's no audio for either of these. Way, way up in northeastern Canada, closer to Greenland than the U.S., sits a narrow lane of water called the Fury and Hecla Strait. The water flows all wonky there thanks to varying tides. The strait is named after two Royal Navy ships, the HMS Fury and HMS Hecla. Both ships got stuck in ice during an 1822 expedition led by Sir William Edward Perry. The ships remained immobile for eight months, and during that time, some of the crew were able to explore the area with native Inuit. Fury and Hecla Strait is where the famous unexplained ping took place. Nearly a century after the ships got stuck, in the summer of 2016, a noise was heard almost continuously by various residents of the town of Iglulik, no one could figure out where it was coming from, and local hunters believed that it was to blame for a complete lack of game animals sticking around in the area. K-2 
Canadian military authorities performed an airborne survey of the area but reported nothing unusual. In Connecticut, the village of Moodis is famous for strange noises coming from the woods. Moodis noises, as they are known, are blamed on shallow micro-earthquakes. Historians believe that the noises were the source of an indigenous religious cult based on the god Hobomok. Various Native American tribes in the area considered Hobomok to be the spirit of the dead. The Moodis noises were also the basis for the otherworldly noises in H.P. Lovecraft's The Dunwich Horror. The village embraces the sound so much so that the local high school's athletic teams are known as the Noises. Let's stay in the United States and travel from Connecticut to a place called Forest Grove, Oregon. Throughout February of 2016, residents of Forest Grove dealt with an unexplained, awful noise. Sometimes it would last a few seconds, sometimes as much as a few minutes. The Forest Grove sound was described by the Oregonian Daily News as a mechanical scream. Mechanical scream seems like an accurate description. The Department of Forestry was asked about the noise. They said, it wasn't us. The fire department of Forest Grove did not consider the sound to be a safety risk. There were apparently no problems with gas lines at the time. The police department received countless phone calls that month with people offering their suggestions for what was causing the noise. Giant frogs, aliens, and Bigfoot were all mentioned as possible culprits. By the end of the month, the police department closed the case, wrote it off as a faulty piece of machinery somewhere, and the noise suddenly stopped. The famous tagline from Ridley Scott's movie, Alien, reads, In space, no one can hear you scream. But according to NASA, there are plenty of sounds to be heard out there. In 1997, NASA and the European Space Agency launched the Cassini space probe towards Saturn. It took 20 years to get there, and when the research was done, they crashed it into the planet on purpose. On its final orbits, Cassini recorded plasma waves that were moving between Saturn and its moon. Scientists were able to convert that data into audio. In 2011, NASA launched Juno towards Jupiter. It arrived nearly five years later, and its orbiting mission was just extended until 2025. While there are numerous different audio recordings, hearing Juno pass through Jupiter's magnetosphere is pretty eerie. The Kepler Space Telescope mission launched in 2009 and is still going strong as it follows Earth in its orbit. Kepler has been able to record numerous light curve waves from stars and turn them into sound. Here is what star KIC 767-1081b sounds like. Lightning on Jupiter? Okay. 
Dust and debris from a comet's tail pelting a microphone? Yes, please. How about radio emissions coming from Saturn? And who is Saturn trying to get a hold of exactly? There's a ton more great space sounds at nasa.gov connect sounds. Check it out if you get a chance. Alright, landing back on Earth now. Let's take a listen to some out-of-this-world sounds made by in-this-world animals. Here's a desert rain frog when it's angry. And here's a cheetah talking to its kids. This is the gray go-away bird. Capuchin bird. Here's a brown sicklebill. How about a laughing kookaburra? This is the Great Potu. And here's a black-throated loon, whose name sounds like a Victorian put-down. You, my friend, are nothing more than a black-throated loon. And then there's the infamous bioduck sound. Bioduck is a quacking-like sound first reported by submarines in the 1960s. The bioduck sound is normally heard underwater around the various coasts of Australia. The sound is seasonal and occurs numerous times a day for weeks beginning in October. In 2014, the sound was finally matched up with vocalizations made by the Antarctic mink whale. Underwater, outer space, underground, in the air, there's amazing and unexplained sounds everywhere. ASMR has become popular in the last couple of years. Although the way kids go through fads, maybe it's not cool anymore. Autonomous sensory meridian response is a tingling sensation that typically begins on the scalp and moves down the back of the neck and upper spine. ASMR causes a pleasant form of paresthesia. Then there's the tritone paradox. The tritone paradox is an auditory illusion of sorts that has baffled people for decades. A sequentially played pair of shepherd tones separated by an interval of a tritone or half octave is heard as ascending by some people and as descending by others. Which team are you on? And here's a fun audio illusion that you may enjoy or it might drive you mad. A professor of psychology at the University of California at San Diego has researched and written extensively about something known as phantom words. 
The professor tells us that to obtain the best effect, find a time when you will not be disturbed and sit comfortably in front of two loudspeakers, with one to your left and the other to your right. Make sure that your sound system is set for stereo and that the two loudspeakers are reasonably balanced for loudness. In a phantom words demonstration, each track contains two words or a single word composed of two syllables, and these are repeated over and over again. The same sequence is presented through both loudspeakers, but the tracks are offset in time so that when the first sound, word or syllable, is coming from the loudspeaker on the left, the second sound is coming from the loudspeaker on the right, and vice versa. Because the sounds coming from the two loudspeakers are mixed in the air before they reach your ears, you're given a palette of sounds from which to choose, and so can create in your mind many different combinations of sounds. I'll play one for you now. What do you hear? Here's another one. I find that it takes a couple of seconds, and then my brain will piece together a word or two. Sometimes that word can switch partway through, and often can become a word based on a feeling you're having at the time. A man named Joe Harrington, who works in Disney's Imagineering Department as the principal media designer, once said, Half of the storytelling ability is sound. Well said, Joe. Theater of the mind. Music that evokes a response. A sound that brings back a hundred memories. A voice that makes you smile. Hearing is a pretty special ability that should not be taken for granted. Speaking of not taking things for granted, I love hearing from folks who listen to this podcast. A few days ago, I received a nice note from listener Tiffany and her daughter Adriana, who said, We made it home to beautiful, warm Kentucky. We were entertained by a really great podcast on the way down. Thank you for keeping us amused. And thank you for listening, ladies. And everyone else who listens, thank you too. If you enjoyed this episode or any of my other episodes, please consider leaving a five-star review. It really helps. Visit the website, curator135.com. Check out the shop. And don't forget to find me on any of the social media sites. I'd love for you to say hello. So be good to one another. And be creative. The world needs you. And 143.